If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, I want to encourage you to turn there, turn in your phones or your Bibles um, to the Song of Songs. The Song of Songs, you'll find it in the Old Testament. That's where we are in this series. And um, I want to begin by just reading again chapters, portions of chapters 1 and 2. Um, this is where we're going to be again this morning. But let me just say this, I'm incredibly honored and, or feel honored and privileged and blessed to have uh, my wife Andrea up here with me this morning as she's going to be sharing some thoughts here in a moment for us um, as we continue in this marriage series together. But the Song of Songs, chapter 1, just follow along with me if, if you would as I read. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And then the wife steps forward now on stage and she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. And then off stage is this chorus which says, we will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. And they're talking there about the man, about the husband. Rightly do they love you. The wife continues singing and she says, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, Tell me where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? And now the husband takes the stage. And we hear him singing for the very first time in this song. And he says, If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. And then off stage, the chorus begins to say again, we will make for you ornaments of gold. And they're referencing the woman here. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. Then the wife picks up the song and she begins to sing. And she says, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi." The husband sings again, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. The wife sings, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. Our couch is green. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. And then the husband begins to sing again, A lily among brambles. So is my love among the young women. The wife sings, she says, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I'm sick with love. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you stir, not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And then she hears something. She hears the voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. 
Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. And he says this to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, and the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And then she says, my beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. So we continue this morning in a very unique songbook, a songbook of eight chapters. And last week, um, we gave you kind of a homework assignment, right? And that homework assignment was for you um, to read the Song of Songs. Uh, if your husband and wife read the Song of Songs together and to discuss it, all right? And if you're not married, to do the same thing, to read the Song of Songs, all right? And look for, how do we see Jesus in the Song of Songs? So here's what I want you to do at your table. It's a little different uh, series than what we're normally used. So I want you to discuss at your table, all right? So I'm just assuming you all did the homework. I'm just going to make that assumption, all right? Just assuming that. Um, if you didn't, act like you did, all right? All right, just act like, no, no. If you, if you didn't, then maybe there's someone at your table that did, all right? So you can glean some, some interesting take from them. But I want you to discuss at your table what stood out to you as you read the Song of Songs. What stood out to you, or maybe what stands out to you. Right? If you didn't do the homework, what stands out to you about the Song of Songs? Just take a couple minutes and discuss that at your table. All right. Thank you for sharing at your table. We're going to give you more opportunities to do that throughout this morning. Let me just say a couple things before we um, have you do some more discussion at your table. First, if you happen to miss a week... All right, in this series that we're doing, we do record these, and you can find the, the messages of the talks online at the church website and the church podcast. So just as a heads up, for those of you that maybe miss, you can, you can kind of catch up, because I don't want to spend a lot of time reviewing from weeks past, um, so we can continue moving forward. And I understand that the Song of Songs can be uncomfortable. <laughs> All right, It can be uncomfortable to talk about. Um, in a setting like this, um, because of its sensuous, na- sensuous nature and its language. Um, and I know that for some, this study, maybe for parents and maybe for um, children, this can, you can feel uncomfortable a little bit with this. I, I understand that. Um, I thought it was interesting, as, as someone was talking to me this week about this series, they said, you know, this, this study is uncomfortable, and here's why it's uncomfortable for me, because it's what our parents should have talked to us about but didn't what our parents should have talked to us about but didn't, and so it makes us feel uncomfortable a little bit. But my hope for those of you that are moms and dads that are here this morning and when your kids are old enough, all right, to understand, I, I want to encourage you, you, you need to be the ones talking to your children about marriage and sexuality that needs to come from you. Because if it doesn't come from you, they're going to get it from someone, they're going to hear it from someone else. And that someone else may, be, may not be someone that you approve of. All right, to be the one communicating these truths to your kids. So it needs to come from you. 
moms and dads, they need to hear it from you. But if for some reason maybe moms and dads aren't or you didn't hear about these things, I can't think of a better place for us to talk about marriage and sexuality than with the church. I just can't. If you're going to hear it, you should hear it amongst the people that love you and that want God's best for you this morning. Um, and so just I need to say that. And two, before we look at, into the Song of Solomon a little bit more this morning, just as a, a quick recap, we have to understand that behind this song, if you will, if this song is an opera, the stage is set and there's a picture of the cross of Jesus on the stage as the backdrop. So as the husband and wife sit, come out and sing their songs, you need to understand that this, this marriage song Behind this marriage song is the covenant love of Jesus, not a contractual love. Contractual love says, I'll do this if you do this. And if you don't do this, then I don't have to. That's a contract. Covenant says, I will do this regardless of how you treat me. I will do this regardless if you love me back or not. That's covenant. That's permanent. That's binding. And Paul said this about God's covenant love toward us. He said, God demonstrated His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were not loving God back, God was still loving us. That's covenantal love. And that's the backdrop behind marriage. That's the way God has designed it. He he wants marriage to be an expression, to be a display, to be a billboard that puts His covenant love on display. So we need to understand that behind the husband and wife as they step out and sing their songs in the Song of Solomon, behind them stands the covenant love of Jesus. Because you can't love like this without the gospel. You, you, you can't experience marriage the way God designed marriage to be without Jesus. You can experience marriage, but you can't experience God's best and what He desires marriage to be without Jesus in the gospel. So you need to understand that behind the husband and wife is the covenant love of God. And last week we just looked, just jumped into God's heart for the wife. The wife steps out and she sings her song. And as we looked into that chapter one, chapter two, as the wife sings, we realize that God's heart for the wife is that she desire, declare, and affirm her love to and for her husband. That she desire her husband, that she declare her love for her husband, and that she affirm her love to her husband. We see that in the woman here in the Song of Songs. So I want to pick up where we left off last week by asking a question. This could feel awkward at your table. All right, totally get that this could feel awkward, especially if your spouse is at your table, which for some of you, if you're married, your spouse is at, this could feel a little awkward. All right, but I want you to discuss, to discuss it anyway. Here's the question. If God's heart for the wife is to desire, declare, and affirm her love to her husband, how does she do that? What are some ways that she can do that? Now, I just want the men at the tables to talk about this. Ladies, I just want you to listen. No talking, no interrupting, no jokes, ladies. All right, you serious? I can't believe, what? Lunch, then you and me, we got to talk. All right, maybe that's, that's a good thing that should come out of this, okay? But here's what I want. I want the men at the table, all right? I want the men at the table to express to the ladies at the table, what are some ways wives can affirm and show love and appreciation to their husbands? Then after you talk, just for a couple minutes, I'm going to ask my wife, Andrea, to share some some thoughts. So go for it. Just the men only. You share. All right, go. All right. Thank you. Let me me throw out this... um, question 
ladies, one thing that you can ask, if you're married, you can ask your husband that question that says, listen, later today, ask him, when do you feel most loved and affirmed by me? When do you feel most affirmed and loved by me? Ladies, ask your husband that later on, all right, if you're married. It's a great question, because you may assume that you're affirming and showing appreciation, but maybe he's not receiving it. All right, I want to ask Andrea to share some thoughts as far as what can this look like for a wife to desire, declare, and affirm um, her love to and for her husband. Okay, so when Mark asked me to do this, and, um, <laughs> you know, I was thinking he might want just like a list of things. And so yesterday I'm like, like, how much time are you talking here? Because I've got a lot. <laughs> I've got a lot. Because I, I can't just get up here and give you a list. And, and a lot of you ladies probably know a lot of things. Some things are like, yeah, of course, you know, I would do this and this and this. Um, so there's so much more than just, than just a list. Um, I just want to tell you, as we've said before, we are not standing up here as perfect. I am not the perfect wife up here telling you how to be a perfect wife because I am far from that. I struggle with the same things that you do. But um, I, I do want to say that about when I was a wife of about 10 years, God's grace in bringing some very important things into my life, um, some books, some people that really um, was working in me to bring me up short about some things, some warnings that I sometimes wonder if that had not happened, if God would allow us to be in this place where we are in our marriage. And, and I say it's a wonderful place in our marriage, and I can honestly say we do have a wonderful marriage. I am so blessed. We, we're able to talk and, and communicate, and, but it's not without God working in our lives, working in my heart as far as what he wants for a woman in marriage. And, um, of course, as you know, these things are not popular in our culture today. Some of the stuff that I say is not easy to say. Some of the things I say may not be easy to hear, um, but they come from God's word. And um, so, you know, here we go. One of the things that, that one of those warnings that came to me, um, we were at a, before Mark and I went to Ireland to be missionaries, um, we went to a candidate school where we went and learned all about, you know, being missionaries and we had to actually be accepted. Well, they had chosen Mark to be the speaker at the end of the two weeks. And um, it, was, it was a big deal. It was a privilege and um, he, did a, he did a wonderful job. And um, I'll never forget this woman, who was an older missionary woman, came up to me. And she said, she didn't say, hey, your husband did a great job, whatever. She said to me, wow. She said, God has given you a huge responsibility. And I thought, huh, I wonder what she means by that. And I, I kind of had an, an idea, but I really sat and contemplated that, that God had given mark to me therefore this was very intentional and that he gave him to me for a reason and that I had a big responsibility to be the wife of this man that God had given me um, so just understanding that this man that you have married God has placed you with him for a reason it is intentional and there is something that only you can provide for your husband and that God has intentionally placed you in his life. 
Um, I wanted to read a couple of verses. Um, Proverbs 31, 11 and 12 says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Wow. Um, and Proverbs 14, 1, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. We have a big responsibility, and we have, um, we can make choices, and we can actually do things with our own words and actions that can contribute to building up or tearing down our homes, and that's sobering. Um, move on to, to my next notes. So how do we affirm our husbands? Well, we respect him, and I, this is a quote from an author called Mark Gunger who wrote Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, and it says, so what is it that men want? In a word, men want respect. That means a man wants to be held in esteem and to be shown consideration and appreciation, even when he makes mistakes. He wants to be seen as a hero, especially in the eyes of his bride. He needs someone to believe in him when the odds are stacked against him. Our husbands need to hear, yes, that we are thankful, that we are proud of him and the things that they do for us. But sometimes I get caught up in thanking him. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that for me. That I forget to thank him for who he is. He wants to know that we're thankful for who he is, not just what he does. Um, that same author, Mark Gunger, said, most women are not aware but the majority of women feel very, uh, excuse me, but the majority of men feel very unsure of themselves. In a recent survey, 75% of men admitted that they feel like an imposter in their home. Sadly, for millions of men, their home is a place where the voices of criticism are amplified, not silenced. Um, we have a big responsibility in even shaping how our husbands feel about themselves when they are home. Um, some things that can, some practical ways, some practical things, when he comes home or when he's around, smile at him. You just sometimes are like, I'm guilty. I say this. This is from experience. Greet him with a smile. Let him know with your body language that you're happy to have him around, not just this. And sometimes Mark will come back from work after being gone all day. I'm sitting here at the sink. I don't even bother to look around and say, hello, how are you? How was your day? I'm so involved in what I'm doing. But it's this, hey, you're home. I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy to have you around, not just I'm glad you provide for us and that you're out there working, but I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy to have you around. Um, another thing, speak highly of him. Speak highly of him to your kids, to your family, to your friends. Um, it can be very easy to those people around you, your friends, to just kind of sit and have this big gripe session about what your husband did or didn't do and how he doesn't do this and this and this. Speak highly of him. And you'd be surprised it probably will get around to him and what that does to his heart. Um, there have been some times when work for Mark has been when he's been gone a lot or maybe in the evenings and several times at dinners 
And I'm sad to say that there have been times when my attitude has been like, oh, he's not here again or whatever. And you know what? Your kids pick up on that. And, or when I can change my attitude and be like, and, and we've done this too, guys, your dad, he works so hard. I'm so proud of him. He's doing this or he's doing that. He's helping people. He's doing what God has called him to do. The difference that that makes in the attitudes of even how my children perceive their father, very important. Um, so speak highly of him. And I'm not saying lie. Speak highly of him. Find things <laughs> that you are appreciative. Find things that you can build him up to others and to your children, to your family. My family thinks that Mark, I think they like him better than they like me because I do speak highly of him, and it's, it's not hard to do that. But I think I have an older brother, and I'm his little sister, and he is very protective of me. But you know what? He has earned my brother's respect. But part of it is I do talk fairly highly of Mark to him. Um, another thing, listen, as far as like respect, appreciating who he is listen to his ideas his opinions and don't constantly challenge or negate his thoughts like oh that would be dumb or oh that's just listen but I promise you if you do listen if you do respect him you can have the permission you can have the um you're going to be listened to when you say you know what I hear what you're saying but I feel like this and this, this might be, you know, or you might want to rethink that. When you take the time to listen to your husband, to respect what he does have to say, or to validate what he has to say, you earn the right to be able to um, give suggestions. Yes. Let me jump in on that, too, yeah. because we communicate so differently. For me, it takes me a long time to think about what I'm going to say so it comes out. So I'll just say this, like... Sometimes, as far as patience, right? I'm talking, addressing the wives here. Patient, waiting, all right? Because it's not that I'm not thinking. Well, there might be times that I'm not thinking, okay? I mean, that's just like, so that, I mean, but it, when she's listening to me or whatever, there can be that need for her to, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Right? I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. And it's not that I'm not thinking about it. It's just like, I can't process it that fast. You know, I want to. I want to tell you what I'm thinking, but I don't even know what I'm thinking because you're talking and I'm trying to think about it all, right? And so there's a sense of just that patience that's needed, right? But guys, too, and I'll jump in here, to think something that we've learned is, for me, I need to at least let her know that I'm thinking about it, too, right? And you're not letting her know you're thinking about it if the TV's on or you've got the video game control. Yeah, huh? Yeah, what, what'd you say? Love you, bye. You know, kind of thing. All right, no, you, mean, you need to engage, right, in that conversation, um, but two, in the sense of just being patient, especially if he struggles to communicate. If that's something that's difficult for him, there's a sense of being patient. But then the guy needs to say, listen, let me, I'm, I am going to think about this, and I, I need to, but I need some time to think about that. One question that sometimes Mark asks me and that I've learned to um, use to ask him is he'll say, how's your soul? And um, so might be a good question to ask every once in a while. How's your soul? Meaning, what's on your mind? What's on your heart? And maybe they don't have anything to share, but be willing to listen so that they understand what it, that you're important to me. What's on your heart? That's important to me, even if all I do is just listen. Um, another one, let him know that you find him attractive and desirable. 
compliment him on how he looks. Um, and I know that for us women, that's important. So you think, does that matter to him? But yes, compliment him. Find ways to compliment him on his appearance. Um, I promise you, for a lot of these men, when they go to work, there will be people there to compliment them. So think about that before they leave. Compliment him on, on his appearance, his physical appearance. Um, put your arm around him. Greet him with a kiss every once in a while. Those things are important. Um, I wanted to read something to you because it's very important, too, that we welcome their touches of affection. And this is kind of long, but this is another one of those warning things that was like, bah, bah, bah. When I read this about when I was married about 10 years, it really made me stop and think. And I think this is a good warning. This is from a book called Created to Be His Help Me by Debbie Pearl. So I'm going to read this little story that she tells, and I just want you to think about it. A few years ago, I attended a meeting with my husband where a group of leading men were discussing grave matters, trying to come to a conclusion as to what course of action they should take. The men sat in a circle with their wives, sitting beside or right behind them. Sitting across from me was a sober, earnest young man whom I will call Charles. He sat there with his attractive wife. In the midst of an intense part of the conversation, Charles leaned back and draped his arm around his wife's shoulder. She immediately reacted with obvious irritation, shaking his hand off her shoulder and leaning forward as if to get away from his embrace. Then she carefully fixed her hair where his arm had disturbed it. His mind was jerked off of the serious problem at hand and was focused on her now, as was the attention of almost everyone in the room. To her, brushing him off was nothing. But to all those in the room, including her husband, it was an act of putting him down like a thoughtless, inept child. Everyone felt his humiliation. After that, Charles had nothing else to contribute. For the duration of the meeting, he sat downcast, properly chastened, with his hands in his lap. I wanted to get up and shake that girl until her teeth rattled. It would have shocked her to know that everyone in the room felt extreme disdain toward her for her self-centered response. She continued to straighten her hair, unaware that she had just shown a complete lack of honor and reverence toward her husband, and unaware that she was wasting her time, time trying to look pretty, for she had lost all that was lovely and feminine in that one act of disdain. Carrying that kind of rejection on a regular daily basis, Charles will never really be able to cherish his wife, and he will never have what it takes to become an effective minister or leader. Yes, she is his wife and he will undoubtedly continue to love her, but his love will always be more of an attempt to win her. Until she repents, he cannot love her with abandoned joy. A man's ego is a fragile thing. How can a man cherish someone who cares so little for his reputation? Her act was testimony to the state of her heart. She thought more of her hairdo than her husband's honor. She was rebelling against God and not reverencing her husband. To reverence is an active verb. It is something you do. It is not first a feeling. It is a voluntary act. As we reverence and honor our husbands, they are free to mature before God and to minister to others. Charles was not free. He was troubled and bound inside. I sometimes wonder if sometimes some of our thoughtless acts can keep our husbands from being all that God wants them to be. Um, or vice versa. I sometimes wonder with our ways or acts or, or words of respect that we free him 
to be all that God has created them to be because they're not so bound and worried about their wives or trying to always please them or do a certain thing or to earn her love or earn her respect. Um, okay. So another one is treat him in a kind and caring way. Even if you disagree with him, you can still watch your tone and you can disagree without being disrespectful. Um, you wouldn't do that to your friends, right? Um, so don't do it to your husband. Let him know you're in his corner. Be his lady. Um, sometimes you plan or pursue date night. And I know we like our men to do that. That's so chivalrous, but sometimes you do it. One time when Mark had a birthday, I arranged for the kids to be at someone else's house. And he came home from work, and I'm like, kids are gone. We're going out. We're celebrating your birthday. And we got to be home, which we hardly ever get to do, alone. And that was really special. And I know that Mark really appreciated that because I had taken the step to do that. that was, I knew that would be important to him. And so I, I did that. Let him know he's worth dressing up for sometimes. We do that for a lot of other things, um, a lot of other people. Um, something I really wanted to, Mark was talking about understanding how we receive love. A great book, if you've never read it before, is The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. And if you really want to know how it is that your husband receives love, Read this. Find out what is his love language. For example, we have found out that Mark's primary one is acts of service. So I know if, if I have taken extra special time to clean the house or to do certain things that he really loves, then I know that's communicated to him love. He doesn't expect those things, but it shows him, I care about what's important to you. I love you. I'm going to do this because I love you. So um, if you want to ask me more about that book later, you can. Um, finally, and not least, is wives, we can't do this alone, just like Mark was saying. We need to be looking at Jesus, and we need to be spending time in the Word, because that's where we get the power and the strength to do these things that we're called to to do for our husbands. Um, it's not easy. Some of you may be married to somebody that's not easy to respect or to compliment or um, to be kind to. Um, therefore, you're going to really need God's strength and God's help because we're commanded to do it regardless. And guess what? Your husbands, God expects them to love you whether you are lovely or lovable. He expects them. So they have a tall task as well. And the good news is we can do this to our husbands and do it as unto the Lord. So if it's hard, like Mark was saying, remember the cross in the background. We do it for him. We do it because he loves us when we are unlovely. And he forgives us and is merciful to us when we are undeserving. So in that same way, we can turn around and we can respect our husbands and we can we can minister to them. It's, it's a way we can bless them, and we can free them to become what God wants them to be. Um, let me just say this, too, in light of what she just said as far as um, 
a wife pursuing Jesus, one of the most loving things you'll ever do for your husband is love Jesus more than your husband. It's one of the most loving things you'll ever do because there's going to be times when you're not going to feel love toward him. There have been plenty of times in our relationship when Andrea has not felt love toward me because of something I said or something I did or, or whatever. And it's going to be your love for Jesus that's going to enable you and empower you to love your husband when you're not feeling love. So your love, one of the most loving things, same for a husband, one of the most loving things you can do for your spouse is to love Jesus more than your spouse. That means spending time with him. What I, what I love about Andrew, one of the things I love about her, no one else sees. No one else sees. And it's when she gets up in the morning and she spends time with Jesus opening up the word of God. She's got her prayer journal out and she's got this book and notebook and she's spending time loving Jesus and receiving the love of Jesus. That's stuff no one sees. And it's because of her love for Jesus, ultimately, that she's able to love me the way that God desires. And so I want to challenge and encourage the women here. One of the most loving things you'll ever do in marriage is to love Jesus more than your husband. Absolutely. And, and take to heart some of the things that she has, she has shared. Um, and just ask him, too, as we said earlier, just ask him, when, you know, how, how can I better affirm you and, and love you and express love to you? Um, ask him those kinds of questions. Um, thank you for sharing that. In just a, a few moments we have left, um, I just kind of want to quickly turn our attention. We're going to have another abrupt stop this morning, okay? Um, I'm, I always get overzealous in what I think we can cover in a Sunday morning, all right? And so we're, I'm just telling you right now, probably in 10 minutes, we're going to have an abrupt stop, all right? But I, but I kind of want to turn our attention to the husband's song now, all right? I want to turn our attention there, and, and um, we've looked at the wife as she steps out on the Song of Solomon stage and, and shares and, and sings. And, um, and, and then the husband comes out. And I just kind of want to talk about this briefly this morning. Then we'll get practical in the weeks to come. Um, and I'll share some things with the men in the weeks to come as far as some of the things like Andrea shared. I'll take my turn and, and be specific. Um, some practical ways. But again, Andrea, thank you. I'm blessed beyond. It's the grace of God. Married up like 500 floors up, okay? I mean, it's just like, just incredible. But with her, I'm, I, I, cannot, I cannot say it enough. It's her love for Jesus. It, it just is. It, and it's, it's her time with him um, that, that really impacts our marriage in, in such powerful ways. But, so if we look at verse 8, okay, the husband steps out onto the stage for the first time onto the Song of Songs opera stage, if you will. And, and he says this. He says, If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. So here now we pick up what's God's heart for the husband? What's God's heart? What do we see? The husband's song here. Well, we have to understand that in verses 5 through 7, the wife or the woman has just declared her insecurities. She's just shared that she's feeling insecure about her physical appearance. And you can read that in verses 5 through 7, 
right? She says, I'm very dark, but lovely. And, and we talked about this last week. And she, she's feeling insecure about what she looks like. She wonders if she's pretty. She looks in the mirror and she's not feeling attractive about her physical appearance. And she's wondering if her hard work in the hot sun has made her undesirable to her man. And yet amidst her insecurities, where does she want to be? She wants to be with her man. She wants to be with her husband, the one whom her soul loves. Why? Because in those moments when she's feeling insecure, when she's with him, he makes her feel secure. He affirms her. She knows that he desires her. Look at verse 8. He says, if you don't know where to find me, all right, almost beautiful among women. Look, the first thing he does is he affirms her physical appearance. He doesn't say, you're just beautiful. You're the most beautiful among women. He doesn't say to her when she's feeling insecure, I can't believe you think that about yourself. Are you serious? You're crazy. I can't believe, I think you look great. He doesn't start with like putting her down, right, about her and her feeling that way. First thing he says, he affirms her. He says, oh, if you don't know where to find me, Almost beautiful among women. He doesn't say you're crazy. He doesn't question her. He just says, listen, I think you're beautiful. We can learn so much about his response here, guys, in those moments when our wife is feeling insecure about her physical appearance. What a great picture of Jesus this is, right? When we, as his bride, as his church, we're feeling insecure, wanting approval and wondering if we're doing enough for Jesus. We just run to Jesus knowing that he says, I love you with an everlasting love. Regardless of what you do, I will always love you. What a great picture of Jesus we see here. But then after affirming his wife, look at what he does. He, he tells her where to find him. He says, listen, find the goat tracks, right? Find the sheep tracks and follow those tracks because I want you to come and be with me. If you're feeling insecure, here's where you find me. You come to me. You don't go anywhere else. You come and be with me. Right? That's what he says. I want you to come get to me. Bring the goats you're overseeing. Right, Pasture your young goats. Bring them besides the shepherd's tents. Why? Because that's where he is. And he says, this is how you get to me. And, and you sense here this protective care over his woman. Not just protective care over her physically, but emotionally. He knows she's feeling insecure about herself. And he says, you come be with me. He has this desire because... God's heart for the husband is that he desire his wife. He desire to be with his wife. He, he declare and affirm his love to and for his wife. And you see that here in the husband. He desires her. He has this uh, attraction to her. He calls her most beautiful among women. And then he says, here's how you come to me. Come to me and listen. If you're not a safe place, husband, for your wife, when she feels insecure, she will go somewhere to feel secure. And you better pray hard that the place she goes to is Jesus. The person she goes to is Jesus. Because if not there, fellas, she may end up somewhere else if she's getting security from somewhere else. All right, so I'm just saying. All right, so you make sure that when you know she's feeling this way, she, she can come to you because you make her feel secure. He wants to be with her. There's this desire for them to be together. And again, what a beautiful picture of Jesus. He desires his wife. If you go over to chapter 2 and look at verses 8 through 15, she describes him. He's like, here he comes. He's leaping over the mountains. He wants to be with me. And then he speaks. And you look at verse 10 and he says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Again, he desires to be with her. He wants to be by her side. And he calls her throughout. He has this term of endearment 
for his wife. And you see this all throughout the song. He calls her my love. My love. That's his term of endearment. And he says, arise, verse 10, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. And he extends the same invitation in verse 13. He says, hey, spring is here. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. And one commentator describes as literally he's saying, come away with me. There's this personal desire. He wants to be with his wife. He wants her to be with him. He, he wants to be with her physically. He finds her attractive, but he wants her to feel security in his presence. And he doesn't assume that she knows this. <laughs> he tells her. He affirms this to her. Sometimes if we just assume that our wives know we, that we love them, we need to tell them. We need to tell them repeatedly, affirming them over and over. Don't just assume she knows that. Tell her that you want to be with her. Tell her that you desire her. And then so what you see here in, in the first times that the husband steps out and sings is this desire. Okay, here, here's how you come to me. Come to me. Follow the tracks. I'm over by the shepherd's tent. Come. I want you to come be with me. And he says, come with me. Come with me, my love. Let's, I want to be with you. He has this desire to be with her. And then look at verse 15 of chapter 2. He says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Foxes were little critters that got in the vineyard and destroyed the vineyard. And so he's saying, listen, let's catch those things that are keeping us from having intimate relationship with each other. Let's catch those things that are destroying our love for one another. Let's catch those things that are getting in the way of our relationship as husband and wife. And the longer you get married, kids come along, life gets busy, and what gets pushed out? Your marriage. Your marriage gets pushed out. Your relationship with your spouse. And he's saying, listen, catch those foxes. Identify what they are. And get rid of them in the sense of make sure that you're not letting little things creep into your relationship that's distancing you. De Dennis Rainey of Family Life says this, your relationship, your marriage relationship is, e is either moving toward oneness or toward isolation. So in your relationship, you're either moving toward oneness or toward isolation. And the things that cause us to be isolated as husband and wife are the little foxes. Those little sins maybe that you're not confessing or maybe those things in your relationship, whatever it might be, time together. And sometimes those are good things, right? It's, sometimes it's like, you know, we spend more time with the kids, which is good. But what gets pushed out is your relationship as husband and wife. One of the greatest things you'll ever do for your kids is have a godly marriage. Best thing you could ever do for your children is them knowing that mom and dad are crazy about each other. Best thing you'll ever do for your kids because your kids can sense when mom and dad aren't. They can. Best thing you can do, he says, so let's catch these little foxes. Let's let nothing get in the way of our relationship. So maybe later today, husband's wife, you're going to say, okay, so what are the foxes in our relationship? What are they? Let's talk about those. What do we need to do to, to remove some of those foxes, if you will? And so he desires, he desires to be with his wife. And then we see he declares and affirms his love for and to his wife. If you go back to chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he says, I compare you, my love. Right? I compare you, my love. Speaks of belonging. She knows that he belongs to her. He loves having her on his arm. He reassures her that she belongs to him. And then he makes this awesome comparison of her to a horse. Right? That would not be the comparison I would use in describing my wife, nor would I recommend you fellas to use it. 
you know, I can just see you guys are hanging out at work, you know, at lunch with the guys, and they're all talking about your wife, and they're like, well, tell us about your wife. Dude, she's a horse. She is awesome. She's such a horse. Probably not the best thing to say, okay, um, in that context. But in this culture, they understood what this meant. Here's what's crazy. As I was studying this, I had goosebumps. This just blew me away when I was reading this, okay? This is this just like gets me all jazzed. This is amazing. So he compares her to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, Pharaoh's chariots were not pulled by mares. They were pulled by stallions, male horses. Picture this scene. So now you got all these Pharaoh's chariots with stallions. Stallions pulling these chariots. Little mare comes walking by. You know what those stallions are doing? They're distracted. They're like, hello. You know, and what he's, what he's saying is, my wife, she ultimately distracts me. When she walks in, I'm like, honey, all right. You know, I mean, it's just, you just got, I mean, it's ultimately distracted by her. And he tells her, right? He's not assuming she thinks this. He's like, listen, if you don't know, you're like a horse, honey. You are like this mare. I'm a stallion. I'm distracted by you. I mean, he tells her, right? I mean, he desires her and he affirms this to her. She does not assume. He doesn't assume this. I think just for me personally, this is something I just have to learn and be more affirming verbally to to my wife. But he desires her. He affirms her, um, compares her to this mare amongst Pharaoh's chariots. He says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. Verse 10, chapter 1, your neck with strings of jewels. All throughout the Song of Songs, he compliments her natural beauty. But here what I think he's doing is he's telling her he appreciates when she gets all dolled up too. He's saying, I I like it when you get dressed up for me. I like it when you take care of yourself. That means a lot to me. And he's telling her this in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. So again, he's affirming her. He's complimenting her. All these different things. And then if you go over to uh, chapter, uh, or look at verse 15 of chapter 1. He says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And and rabbinical teaching, one of the things I, I was learning in all this that when um, someone in, in that culture would compliment beautiful eyes or compare eyes to doves, it was really referencing not only their physical beauty, but their character. So here he's complimenting not only what she looks like physically, he's complimenting her character. All right? I mean, he compliments her strength, her selflessness, how she gives and how hard she works, all these things. He's complimenting her. And so what we see here just briefly is this we open up these two chapters of the Song of Songs, and the wife takes the stage, and she says, listen, I love you. She desires her husband. She affirms her husband. She tells her husband these things, and then the husband comes out and does the same thing to his wife. He affirms her, and he tells her these things. He tells her these things. And so we need to understand this. This is where we're going to stop this morning. In the week to come, I'm going to get practical with the guys and say, what are some things that we can do practically to affirm our wives, to tell them that we love them. I'm going to ask the band to come. And as they come, I just want to remind us again this morning. This is not possible apart from the grace and the gospel of Jesus. Okay, it's just not possible to have this kind of relationship where you're complimenting. I mean, it's difficult when maybe she said something to you and it's wounded you. It's wounded you, something that she said to you. But again, behind you, as you love your wife and as you wife love your husband, behind you is the cross, the covenant love of Jesus. I want you to go to the book of 1 John as we wrap up. 1 John this morning. 
We just need to remind ourselves of this truth. We just need to remind ourselves of the covenant love of Jesus. 1 John, near the back of your Bibles, chapter 4. And he says this in verse 19. We love, and apply this to you toward your spouse. I love her because Jesus first loved me. I love him because Jesus first loved me. What empowers you, what strengthens you, what enables you to love your spouse in those moments when they might be unlovable is the overwhelming love of Jesus for you. You can't do this apart from the love of Jesus. And so, wives, if you're going to desire, affirm, and declare your love for your husband, if you're going to desire, uh, if you're going to desire him, right, if you're going to do that, then what you have to do is you have to look at Jesus, not your husband. And, and husbands, if you're going to desire and declare and affirm your love for your wife, you've got to look at Jesus, not your wife. You have to. Because it's the gospel and you love because he first loved us. And so to wrap up this morning, you see the homework, another homework assignment. Husbands, wives, everybody, I want you to read Romans 8 this week. I want you to read Romans 8 this week. And I want you to, to discuss together how the unbreakable and rich live love Christ has for you should impact your marriage. How does the unbreakable, rich love of Jesus affect and impact you and impact a husband and wife? I'm just going to have these guys sing this song behind us for a moment, just on their own. But as they do, I want you to, dis to discuss this question at your table. What's Jesus saying to you this morning? What's Jesus saying to you in light of what Andrea shared and the Song of Songs and what we've talked about, the husband declaring? What's Jesus saying to you this morning? Just take a minute and discuss that at your table. Would you stand with me for a minute? Let's go ahead and stand. You know, Andrew and I were just sharing while you guys were talking. We're like, you know what? Maybe what needs to happen, listen, maybe what needs to happen is husbands and wives, we need to confess our sins to each other. We need to go to one another. We say, you know what? I haven't been loving you this way. Will you forgive me? But first you go to Jesus, right? You go to Him. But maybe you sit down with each other and say, listen, is there anything that I've been doing that's been hurting you? Forgive me. And you pray together. And you look at the cross and you look at the endless forgiving love of Jesus. Father, help us as men, as women, to love you through our marriages. To love you as husbands and wives. Lord, it's impossible to do this apart from the gospel, apart from the cornerstone of your grace. And so we rest in you. And Lord, may we as living church just proclaim the gospel in such a powerful, beautiful way as we love one another the way you, Jesus, have first loved us. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we ask these things and we pray. Amen. Let's sing this song as our declaration this morning.